privileged accounts obviously have more rights and, and can destroy more than, than the average user. Can build in backdoors and you know can do creepy stuff that not might be correct in every manner. Not on a, not on a purpose way, but maybe on a stupid way. Welcome to We Talk IoT, a regular series of podcasts from the editors of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. This podcast is brought to you by Avnet Silica in cooperation with Microsoft. Hi, I'm Tim Cole, Editor-in-Chief of Smart Industry, the IoT business magazine. With everything connected to everything else, knowing who is accessing your system and what they are doing there is more important than ever to ensure security, availability, and compliance. Keeping strangers out is one thing, but what about your own most trusted users? 74% of all data breaches can be traced back to so-called privileged users, system administrators, service accounts, domain admins, and the like, according to a report published by Forbes. Psychotic, an American cybersecurity company based in Washington, D.C., specializes in digital identity and access management, and more specifically, in privileged access management systems, so-called PAMs. Stefan Schweitzer is Psychotic's regional VP for Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, and a noted cybersecurity expert. He joins us today to talk about the special risk posed by privileged users in IoT environments. Stefan, are companies aware of the risk from trusted members of their own staffs? So, uh, yes and no. So most companies are. At the moment, we can realize that we are getting you know, more and more questionnaires around that. And with our presence in uh, the Cupping of Coal and Gardner and Forrester Quadrant, we are seeing more and more customers uh, heads up on that topic. But nevertheless, it's very interesting uh, to realize and see that most of the attacks and our information systems is reporting back to us that nearly four out of five you know, modern cybersecurity attacks are being bound on the idea that privileged user did you know, misprivileged stuff. And um, yeah, simple, simple uh, answer to a complex question. Most companies are, many are not. I mean, who can you trust if you can't trust your own admins? Yeah, this is exactly the point, right? So imagine yourself in an environment where you have, you know, 20, 30 in bigger companies, maybe 100 administrators uh, administrating thousands of different, you know, servers, environments, cloud environments, on-premise environments. And, you know, re remember back to your own systems. You know, just imagine how often you're being asked to renew and... Um, you know, turn over the password on the corresponding systems you're attaching to. And now, you know, multiply this by more systems and more administrators. So this seems to be a complex system. And um, most companies don't really know that there are many tools around on the market that can solve their problems. And they are behaving themselves on, you know, lists, Excel sheets, where they share their common access to dedicated, you know, servers or services they need to administer. So, yes, companies obviously, you know, can trust their internal stuff, you know, more or less obviously, but um, most of, you know, the most secret administrative tools in these scenarios are not bound to 
real tools, but to Excel lists that are shared, you know, on a common base on every Friday afternoon between hundreds of administrators. And we know that this is obviously an, an unsecure environment. Your privileged access manager application control solution was launched back in 2016. That's a long time ago. What has happened since? A lot of it happened since. So 2016, most of the deployments that we had been rolling out with customers were on-prem and were bound to the idea that customers are having their servers in their data centers and their firewalls in their data centers and their proxies in their data centers protecting their networks. But, you know, times had changed. And the biggest change in the last five years have been recognized in the whole idea of the cloud environment. Whether you have now services in the cloud or you have you know, servers in the cloud or um, you know, even your workforce sitting in the cloud, it's a lot of environments coming together. And a lot of environments coming together is you know, being built into our systems. And our systems are now not only capable to handle you know, such a complex environment, but on themselves are able to run in cloud environments or in hybrid environments as self, uh, or itself. So that means a lot of infrastructure topics on the customers had changed. A lot of customers are going now with the idea of cloud first and whatever service they are working on. And there is a very interesting statistics around where questionnaires and interviews have been taken with system administrators being asked, how many services do you think have, have you been running, running in the cloud at the moment? And the standard answer or you know, the average answer on average German bigger middlestand company, you know, something around 5,000 seat, is you know, maybe some 20 cloud services that we are supporting. But the reality is, you know, the average that we are measuring with such kind of customers are over 200. So there's a big discrepancy between, you know, what is real, what is imagination. And going back to your question, what had changed, I would say the biggest impact had been the cloud and the idea of, you know, cloud-first applications and the services. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast, is sponsored by Microsoft. Microsoft Azure IoT Hub. Highly secure and reliable communication between your IoT application and the devices it manages. Azure IoT Hub provides a cloud-hosted solution backend to virtually connect any device. Extend your solution from the cloud to the edge with per-device authentication, built-in device management, and scaled provisioning. IoT solution based on Microsoft IoT Hub, then Avnet IoT Connect is your perfect choice. A standardized way to harness IoT so your business can quickly build smart apps and solutions based on the Azure platform. Well, many cloud-focused companies rely on Microsoft's Active Directory to manage identities. In fact, many run multiple instances, even 
hundreds of instances of Active Directory, some of them long out of date. How can Phycotic help fix this problem? We have two different ways to you know, look into that. Well, first of all, many different AD environments or AD trees are operating within one company. And on top of that comes obviously the Microsoft Azure environment, maybe some services running on, on AWS or Google Clouds as well. What we see often is whenever there's a web presence available, most of these servers are bound to Unix or Linux machines. So there are many different trees within one company. So we have two solutions for that. First, first solution is a very obviously one. Uh, we're going to marry all of these trees and directors together. And this is why we had gone into the merger with our um, um, sister company, Centrify. So Centrify is famous for its world-leading tool, which is called AD Bridging. And this is exactly, you know, the environment that, or the tool that, you know, brings all these environments together, marries them all together so that you can manage, you know, out of one tree, whatever you like. So this is perspective number one. Perspective number two is the tool that we call, coming from the old traditional um, psychotic um, roadmap and experience, which we call Account Lifecycle Manager. An Account Lifecycle Manager is the first product in our product line that was created by a customer and developed together with our biggest customer here in Germany and rolled out worldwide. An Account Lifecycle Manager is a kind of you know trivial site when you think of accounts in the form of human beings. You know, an administrator is leaving the company and, you know, how to handle that leaving, how to get him out of all the different trees, you know, that Unix tree, that, you know, different active directories, the Azure stuff, and, you know, many other ones. But, you know, just imagine you have not only human accounts in your AD setting, you have, you know, very various different accounts. Um, the whole the whole podcast here is bound under the idea of, of IoT. But, you know, let me just name some accounts that are typically in this in this scenario. And these are service accounts. So your firewall is talking to your AD, the firewall is talking to the proxy, the firewall is talking to the DNS and THCP servers. So all that different connections are interoperable. They are working together. And, you know, just imagine now that you, you know, replace your old firewall by a different vendor and a new one. So who will be able, you know, to to delete in all the different directories the old firewall? And who even remembers that, you know, what had all been set up? And I'm doing this job now, and I really love this, for over 20 years. And in every data center I was allowed to visit in the last 20 years, there is a rack in the lower left corner of the data center where you find very old machines. And whenever I point to those machines and say, what are you running here? This looks, you know, very vintage. The customer is always coming around saying we have no idea what's running there, but we we don't want to you know pull it off and turn it on, uh, turn it off, uh, because we don't know what's running. But you know we, we know one thing for sure: the moment we turn it off, everything will start operating. Never change a running system. Never change a running system. Exactly. So account lifecycle manager is a different tool in our product and uh, feature set that exactly addresses this topic so that you can, you know, peaceful sleep after changing your firewall and knowing that the old firewall accounts all had been deleted in the different forest centuries. What is different about privileged users than everyday run-of-the-mill users? Do you have to do different things to make sure that they are actually on a leash? 
first of all, we are, you know, separating our tool, yes, to privileged user and not so privileged user to the classical workforce, you know, bringing them all together because they are all sharing the same problem. And the problem is, you know, where, where the hell is my password? How many times to rotate it? And, you know, where does it come from? Where does it live? And you can imagine, you know, a company that has 20,000, 30,000 employees that are all coming back by the end of the summer vacations. And, you know, just imagine now your workforce, every one out of 100 human working in that company had lost their password or forgotten their password over the summer vacations. The IT department would do nothing else until Christmas, you know, to fix that and, and handle that. So, so it's not only about the privileged accounts, it's about every account. But yes, privileged accounts obviously have more rights and, and can destroy more than, than the average user, can build in backdoors and, you know, can do creepy stuff that not might be correct in every manner, not on a, not on a purpose way, but maybe on a stupid way. Um, so, you know, just imagine yourself that by a stupid drive-by on a website, you would catch yourself ransomware to be downloaded on your machine. What that ransomware could destroy when you're logged in, you know, just only as a user, it could destroy your laptop or you're logged in as a privileged user, it could destroy your whole environment. And this is what we're seeing in, in all that newspaper articles that, you know, are being rolled out every once in a week that, you know, ransomware had, you know, shut down that hospital or that facility that, you know, the ransomware was spread around through the networks, coincidentally by privileged users um, not having been taken care of what they are allowed to access to and with them, you know, having the rights to access everything, the ransomware that, you know, they have been running on their machines can access everything themselves too. You know, with this, we are getting, you know, two problems with one solutions. I believe it was Lenin who said, trust is good, but control is better. Um, are you in the business of giving companies back control over their systems? Yes, absolutely. And we can do this on three different levels, right? So the level first is, and I'm always, I'm always comparing that with, you know, the discotheque in the good old days. So remember that you have been going to a discotheque and there was a bouncer at the door and, you know, you had, you had, you know, to go by that bouncer into, into the discotheque. But when you're in, you usually could have been done everything. But, you know, just imagine now a system where you not only have a guy sitting at the door and controlling who's going in and out, but also have a guy sitting in the discotheque taking care of, you know, to which areas are you allowed to access? Are you allowed to go to the dance floor or to the VIP area or to the bar? And even then, when you're at the bar, are you allowed to have, you know, alcoholics or only just, you know, non-alcoholic drinks? Bringing this back to our solution. So we have, you know, controls in place where we can guarantee or deny access for going into the system. So first is, are you allowed to access or not? Then secondly, you know, level number two is when you have access, what are you allowed to access and what are you allowed to execute? Are you allowed to execute every stupid application on your machine, on the server, or, you know, just dedicated stuff that's necessary for you fulfilling your job? And then number three and level number three is when you execute an application, what are you allowed to do within the application? And, you know, just to give you an example, so you might be having a Twitter account, but we permit you to, you know, distribute tweets. So just imagine you are not working in the marketing department, being responsible for, you know, shooting tweets out, but you may be a guy sitting in the support department and, 
doing inbound mailers within over Twitter. So within the same account, we can di give different access to different people within the same application without reconfiguring the application. Another good example could be as an employee, you might be having access to Gmail, but we take away the right of downloading and uploading attachments. Three different levels. Level number one, who is allowed to access? Number two, when you have access, what rights do you have to execute applications? And then number three, when you execute an application, what are you allowed to do within the application? And this is a very interesting matter that gives you and reports back to the super administrator, obviously, all the stuff you need to know to fulfill your obligation to not only reporting and seeing, but to controlling this as well. Would it be fair to describe you as a kind of a cyber bouncer? Going back to the example with the discotheque, yes, we are the bouncer uh, for the cyber stuff. Absolutely, it is. Mm -hmm. Well, sounds like fun. Thank you very much, Stefan Schweitzer, for sharing your insights with us. Thycotic is a company that does privileged access management which in the era of IoT is especially important. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. And now, one more thing. Given that AI has been useful in so many areas, anti-corruption scholars are eager to apply it to their work. In fact, AI has been described by some as, quote, the next frontier in combating corruption. AI is particularly good at ferreting out corrupt activities that were formerly undetectable by human agents, and it can do so much faster. For example, the Tax Administration Services of Mexico used AI algorithms and analytical tools to detect 1,200 fraudulent businesses and 3,500 crooked transactions within a three-month period. This would have taken at least 18 months to achieve without AI assistance. However, discussions about corporate social responsibility, or CSR, have so far mostly remained focused on government efforts, not on companies using AI to mitigate corruption, even though many of them already use AI in their everyday business dealings. In the context of CSR, AI can help companies detect corruption risks in investments and transactions, and it can improve existing due diligence processes. AI can also provide information for annual anti-corruption policy reviews and assist in designing training methods based on AI analysis of company processes, reports, and operations. However, there are ethical concerns about the use of AI in combating corruption, including worries about the violation of privacy. And there are concerns that such technologies could themselves be used as tools to facilitate corruption. A Brazilian machine learning application called Mara is a case study in such concerns. This application involves evaluating the probability of an individual acting corruptly based on data retrieved from their social security number, which contains sensitive personal information. The application also draws on criminal conviction data, which may be biased since marginalized groups are often overrepresented in the criminal justice system. An application like Mara, no matter how smart, might reinforce such biases, 
some experts worry. That was We Talk IoT, the Smart Industry Podcast. You can read all the latest from Smart Industry, the IoT Business Magazine, by visiting our website at www.smart-industry.net, where you'll find hundreds of feature articles about everything from smart manufacturing and cognitive computing to autonomous driving and how IoT and AI are making business smarter. There you can sign up to receive our newsletter, Smart Industry Updates. I'm Tim Cole. See you next time. We talk IoT. Yeah.